following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Before I get into my message, I want to do something. I did this last year, Brother Tracy, when I was with you, but some of you weren't here, and some of you are not going to remember anyway, right? And uh, I do this every week at every church I go to, every single week. Uh, I like to do it for my own interest, but I think you will uh, be interested in it as well. So it's going to take some audience participation, our congregation participation, let me get it right, and uh, you're not going to have to say anything, you just need to stand up for about two seconds, then sit back down, okay? So here it is, are you ready? You ready? Okay, all right. All right, if you're saved, now if you're, if you haven't been saved, you won't be standing, there's no need to stand up tonight. You don't want to lie to God. Amen? Amen. Uh, I mean, He already knows. And, but if you were saved before the age of 10, would you stand up? Just one? Okay, well, thank God for the one. Amen. Okay, thank you. You can be seated. You can sit down now. All right. Okay, if you were saved between the age of 11 and 20, would you please stand? In that age group somewhere, 11 and 20. Okay, pretty good number. Pretty good number. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. That's not so bad, is it? Okay, if you were saved between the ages of 21 and 30, and I'm in that age, I, I was 24, would you stand up, 21 to 30? Okay, you can be seated. All right, if you were saved between the ages of 31 and 40, would you stand up? (laughs) All right, amen. He got a double dose, Don did, amen. All right, amen. There you go. (laughs) If you were saved between the ages of 41 and 50, would you stand up, please? A few. Okay, great. That's right. That's right. Okay. If you were saved between the ages of, where am I at? 51 and 60, would you please stand? How about that? All right. Great. Great. Amen. And this is unusual. Uh, A lot of places I go, man, after you get past 20, nobody stands, okay? And so this is good. All right. If you were saved between the ages of 61 and 70, would you please stand? 6170. All right. One. Amen. Okay. If you were saved between the ages of 71, now we're getting up there. 71 and 80. Would you please stand? 71 and 80. You gave your life to the Lord. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Boy, this is great. Okay. Here we go. Final step. If you were saved between the ages of 81 and 120, would you stand? Anybody? Anybody in that age group? Okay. All right. Well, wasn't that interesting? And uh, we had people of all uh, all different ages uh, of life uh, that were saved. Like I told you, I was 24 years old uh, when I was saved. And the point is simply this. Doesn't matter how old you are, the point is simply this. When you realize that you're lost and you want to be saved, don't let age, don't let 
somebody, anything, anybody keep you from giving your life to Christ? Eternity's way too long to be wrong. Amen? I mentioned to the church Saturday morning in the witness training class, we did this little demonstration in there Saturday morning with, with those, but I mentioned I saw two men who were 91 years old get saved a few years ago, one in Louisiana, one in Missouri, in revivals I was preaching. Never seen that since then or before then. And I've seen a few in their 80s, a few in their 70s, and, and so forth. But for the most part, what I usually see is children and teenagers and young people. And it just seems like the older you get, the least likely you'll ever be saved. I didn't say that you couldn't be. That's obvious tonight, right? Didn't say you can be. Anybody that wants to be saved can be saved. Amen? But I'm just saying this, the longer you live without Jesus, the least your possibilities are of coming to Christ. So I plead with you in Jesus' name tonight, if you're not saved, when we give that invitation tonight, that you'll respond and give your life to him. Now, I want to say this before I get to my message. I've been carrying this around in my Bible for the last several months, and this is what it says. I want you to think about this. This Nobody is so bad that they cannot be saved. You believe that? Nobody is so bad that they cannot be saved. But listen to this. On the other hand, nobody is so good that they don't need to be saved. Some people say, well, that's saving business. That's that's okay for them rotten, low-down sinners, which we all are according to the Bible. But they said, you know, I'm a good person. I live a good life. Hey, everybody needs Jesus. And you don't want to leave this world without him. Amen? And so my prayer tonight is that you, if you don't know him, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, that you will after tonight. All right? Okay. How many of you brought your Bibles with you tonight? Okay. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew, the seventh chapter. We were in Matthew 7 yesterday morning. I promise you I'm not going to preach the same message or the same verses. We're going to look up at verses 13 and 14 tonight of Matthew, the 7th chapter, verse 13 and 14. The Lord Jesus is speaking, and I want to invite you, if you would, please, to stand with me out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Look what he says, beginning with verse 13. Jesus said, Enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. See that word destruction? You ought to put a circle around that and right underneath it, hell, because that's what he's talking about. In many there be that go thereat. Now look at verse 14. Because straight is the gate, and narrow the way which leads to life. See the word life? He's talking about heaven. He's talking about eternal life. And what does he say? And... Few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we bow in your presence tonight, Lord, it's just so exciting to be in this place. We thank you how you've already met with us tonight as Robbie led us to praise you through music and song and worship you. And Father, as we come to this time of the service to proclaim your word, we're asking God that you would meet with us. We're asking that you would come down and that your presence would be manifested in this service. 
Father, tonight, I pray for every person in this building. Father, I pray, first of all, for anyone in this building that's never been saved, who's never been born again, that doesn't have assurance of heaven and eternal life. I pray for that one that's the nearest toward hell tonight, and they may not even know it. And I pray the Spirit of God would convict them and draw them and remove the spiritual blindness that the enemies placed over their eyes, and they would see their need to surrender their life to Christ. Father, I pray tonight there'll be people who will have a true encounter with Jesus Christ. And then, Father, I pray for every believer here tonight. I pray for those that are still in need of revival, in need of a fresh touch. I pray, Father, that you would touch hearts and touch lives, and I pray that your people would be drawn closer to you, that the lost would be saved, and that Jesus would be honored and glorified. Father, we plead the blood of Jesus right now over this congregation, over this platform, and Father, we ask that you bind the enemy from our presence, and Father, we ask that you would work as only you can. Thank you for the power of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believe. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, if you think about it, we wouldn't be able to go anywhere hardly in America if it were not for roads. There are over 4 million miles of highways in the United States alone. And most of them are filled up with traffic. You think about it, we have interstates with multiple lanes, we have highways, we have streets, we have the kind of roads I like, good old gravel roads or side roads, and we all traveled on some kind of road or street to get here tonight. All roads lead to somewhere. They don't all lead to the same place. Some roads will lead you in the completely opposite direction in which you need to go. So you need to make absolutely certain that you're on the right road and that you're going in the right direction. Well, the same thing is especially true spiritually. Jesus spoke of two roads. Now, he calls them gates here in the Bible. I'm just going to call them roads tonight, but gates or roads, and both of them lead to a place, but they don't lead to the same place. They both lead to eternity, but not to the same eternal home. Jesus said that one of the roads or one of the gates is very, very wide, and he said it's got a lot of traffic on it, and he said the other one is very straight, and it's very narrow, and only a few are going to find it. And so Jesus warns us in this passage to make sure that we're on the right road. So tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject of two roads to eternity, two roads to eternity. What are those roads? Well, first of all, let's consider the wide road of destruction, the wide road that leads to destruction. Go back to verse 13 again. He says, enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, or wide is the road, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go therein. You see, this is the road that is most traveled on. This is the most popular 
road. This is the road that most people in America are on and most people in this world are on. This road is very easy to enter and it offers and promises much to those who are on it. And everybody on this wide road are headed in the same direction. You say, how do you get on that road, preacher? You get on that road by virtue of just being born into the human race. Just being a human being, you get on that road. You automatically qualify. And so you're on that road if you haven't been saved. And what you want to do is get off that road and get on to the narrow road. Now, there are all kinds of people on the wide road to destruction. For instance, there are educated people on this road. There are uneducated. There are young and old and wide and black. And there are people from all walks of life. There's even some religious people on this road. And I believe there's a bunch of churches scattered along this road. But the problem with this road, folks, is it leads to hell. It's the wide road of destruction. And you may say, well, preacher, is hell really a real place? I think some people think we Baptist preachers made that up to scare people. But hey, it's all over the Bible. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible did. For instance, let's just look at just a handful of passages here tonight over in, in Matthew the fifth chapter. And I'll just move through these really quick. In Matthew the fifth chapter in verse 22, Jesus said, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause will be in danger of judgment. And whosoever say to his brother Rachel shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Over in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42, look what Jesus has to say over here uh, about hell. He says, and he shall cast them into a furnace of fire where there be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You see that? Over in Matthew chapter 23, let's go. keep going. Matthew 23, I think it's verse 33. Look what Jesus has to say over here. He said, he's talking to the religious leaders of his day, by the way. He said, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation or condemnation of hell? Over in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, Jesus said, these will go away in everlasting punishment, talking about hell, but the righteous into eternal life, talking about Heaven. Look over in the last book of your Bible, the book of the Revelation. In Revelation chapter 20, uh, in verse 15, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is talking about the eternal hell. And then in Revelation chapter 21, the next chapter over in verse 8, it says the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, that's talking about devil worship and witchcraft, and all idolaters and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Hell is the second death. And then over in Mark, the 8th chapter, verses 36 and 37, the Lord Jesus said, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but yet loses his own soul? So hell is a real, literal place. 
And friends, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that we're going to die. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's an appointment that you and I are going to keep, unless the Lord returns first, and that's what I'm counting on. Amen. I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. But either way, you're going to stand before Jesus one day, whether it be through the door of death or whether it be through the rapture. You and I are going to die. We have an appointment with death, and we're going to keep it. And listen, death is no respecter of persons. It comes to old. It comes to middle age. It comes to young people every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single second. Over 120,000 people in America die every single day. Over 5,000 every hour, every single day in just America alone. And most of them go off into eternity lost without Jesus into eternal hell. So hell's a real literal place. That's why you need to make sure you're on the narrow road. But, but look with, if you will, look over at Luke the 16th chapter. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus, I usually preach a whole message on this chapter. I I did that last year here. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story about the rich man and Lazarus and and how Lazarus had, had went to heaven. The rich man was in hell. And look at verse 23 of Luke 16. It says, in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. And he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. He may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things and, and likewise Lazarus evil. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides this, between us and you a great gulf is fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass us that would come from fence. And he said, I pray thee, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That's talking about your the Bible. Moses is the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets are the other books. And he says, Nay, Father Abraham, if one of them went them the dead, they would repent. And he said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets. In other words, if they won't believe the Bible, if they won't believe the word of God, neither would they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. So this guy is in hell. He didn't cease to exist. Amen? Some people believe in the, in the false doctrine of annihilation, that you die and then you just cease to exist. Don't you dare believe that. Don't you dare believe that. Oh, no, you're not going to cease to exist. You're made up of three parts. you got a body. That's the physical part of you. you got a soul, and you got to have a spirit. And there's a part of you that's going to live forever. Amen? And when you die, you're just going to change locations. And, friend, you're going to go to your eternal home. And one day, there's going to be a resurrection. Amen? But you'll go to that eternal home. And Jesus says the wide road leads to destruction. Friends, hell is an eternal place. Did you know that hell wasn't originally created for man? Did you know that? It was originally created for the devil and his angels. But because of the rebellion and sinfulness of mankind... Many will spend eternity there separated from God forever. Oh, there are a lot of people 
on this wide road to destruction. I was on that road until February of 1983. That was a lot of years ago. You say, well, preacher, how did you get off that road? I took an exit. Amen? Hey, I took that. You say, what's the number of it? John 3.16. Amen? I took the exit. And I got off the wide road to destruction. And I got on the narrow road that leads to life. And you can do the same thing tonight. There's some of you here tonight and you're on that wide road of destruction. There are good people on that road. There are moral people. There are honest people, hardworking people. There are even religious people, lots of religious people on that road. They may say things like this, well, I believe in God. So what? That just puts you on the same level as the demons in hell. The Bible says the demons believe, but they tremble about it. The question is, friend, have you trusted Christ? Jesus said in John 14, 6, no man can come. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no one comes to Father except through me. Amen? You can't get to the Father unless you come through his Son, unless you come through Christ. And there are a lot of people, they're good people, they may be religious people, but they're lost. One heartbeat away from hell. You say, well, preacher, what could I do tonight? Do the same thing I had to do. You need to take the exit. You need to get off the wide road. Well, I'm not a bad person, preacher. I've not done a lot of bad things. It doesn't matter, friend. You're on that wide road if you've never gotten on the narrow road. If you've never been saved, you're still on the wide road. Amen? I have I have a lot of sermons I preach on what must I do to be saved, how to be saved. i got tons of sermons on that. And somebody asked me one time, they said, hey, why don't you preach a message sometime on what do you got to do to be lost? And I said, that would be the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my life because you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything to be lost. Nothing. Nothing. Just be a part of the human race. You come into this world already condemned, already separated from God, already with a sin nature. Amen? And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, separation from God. And friends, there comes a time when you're responsible for that and you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a decision. So get off, get, get off the wide road. Take an exit. Turn to Jesus. Trust him. Get on the narrow road before it's too late. Jesus said, unless a man's born again, he'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Friend, have you been born again? I didn't ask you if you're religious. People say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, that's a good thing to say. But when did you get saved? When did you get born again? Because if you didn't get saved, if you didn't get born again, you're not a Christian. I don't care if you were brought up in a Christian home. I don't care how much scripture you've memorized. If you haven't been saved, then you're still lost and separated from God. One heartbeat from a devil's hell. Amen? So get off the wide road tonight and get on the narrow road. All right, let's look at the narrow road. Look over at verse 14 now. Go back to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, and look at verse 14. Jesus said, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to what? Life. That's talking about eternal life, talking about heaven. And by the way, eternal life for a believer doesn't begin after you die. 
It begins the moment you accept Jesus Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior. That's when eternal life begins. Amen? Heaven comes after you die. But you receive uh, eternal life, and heaven is your eternal home. He says, and that leads unto life, and he said, everybody's going to find it. Is that what your Bible says? It says few. You ought to circle that. In verse 13, when he's talking about hell, he said many go in. When he's talking about heaven, he said few that find it. Listen, contrary to what most Americans believe, not everybody's going to heaven. I love that old hymn, when we all get to heaven, Robbie, but it really ought to be called when some get to heaven. Because not all are going. In fact, most people are not going. And that'd be an arrogant statement if that was just from me. But it's not from me, it's from Jesus. Jesus said there's only a few that are going to find it. Not everybody's going to heaven. Not everybody that thinks they're going to heaven is going to go to heaven. Amen? You've got to get on the narrow road. Jesus makes this very, very clear uh, right here. He says, few there be that find it. You know, I love to preach about heaven. I've got a few messages on heaven as well. Revelation 21 verse 4 is my favorite verse on heaven. You say, what's it say? I'm glad you asked. It says, God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death, neither no more sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that. Amen? Hey, death doesn't scare me, not in the least bit. If I drop over dead tonight and this sermon just kicked me out of the way, because I've already done left the building. Amen? Man, I got an eternal home waiting on me. That's a billion times better than this old earth. Amen. I'm not worried about that. I made my reservations in 1983, and by the way, the Lord keeps them. The Lord keeps them. But isn't heaven going to be a wonderful place? Think about it. no more tears. Boy, there's lots of tears in this life on this earth. No more death. Anybody attending funerals lately? You will. No more sorrow. Anybody had any sorrow lately? Just stick around. No more crying. No more pain. I'm not going to ask anybody got any pain because everybody's going to come up and tell me about all their aches. and. <laughs> but there's lots of pain. Lots of pain. Because look what it says. The former things are passed away. Heaven's going to be a perfect place. Lord Jesus is going to be there. Amen? And we're going to be there. If, if you're saved, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be there for all of eternity. Amen? I heard about this guy one time. All these jokes on heaven, by the way, they're, none of them are theologically correct. None of them. That's why they're jokes. Amen? I heard about this guy who died, and uh, he got to the gates of heaven, and an angel greeted him. And the angel said, well, come on in, come on in. And he said, we got to process your information. And he was putting some stuff in the computer. <laughs> there won't be any computers in heaven, hallelujah. Amen? <laughs> They'll be in hell probably, but not in heaven. <laughs> and uh, 
He said, listen, he said, we already know your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's why you're here. He said, I want to know a little bit about you. He said, uh, tell me a little bit about you. And he told him a little bit. And he said, hey, what, was the, what, what do you think was the most unselfish deed you ever done in your life to the fellow man? He said, oh, they said, that's easy. He said, well, tell me about it. And, and he said, well, I'm walking down the street, and there are a bunch of hell's angels in the motorcycle gang. And they were beating up on this little old lady. They robbed her and beaten her up. And he said, I walked up to the leader. He said, I kicked him in the leg. He said, then I hauled off and hit him right in the face. And this angel looked at him and said, man, you're just a little guy. He said, you did that? He said, yep, I sure did. He said, when did that happen? Guy looked at his watch. He said, oh, about two minutes ago. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Listen to me. (laughs) If you know Christ, heaven is your eternal home. But notice, Jesus never said everybody's going to heaven. Not once. He never said that. Not once. He, He never said that most people go to heaven. He never said that. He said there's only a few that are going to find it. It's the narrow road. It's the unpopular road, and that's why it's so narrow. And, friend, you don't get on this road... Until you personally receive Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior. Not one second before then. Amen? When when you realize that you're lost, you realize that you are a sinner, and you repent and turn from your sins, and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ by faith, that's when you take that exit off the wide road and you get on the narrow road. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus, uh, the Bible says there's no other name, talking about the name of Jesus, given under heaven whereby man must be saved. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, remember the story about the Philippian jailer? And, and Paul and Silas were in prison, and it was midnight, and they weren't whining and complaining. Man, they were having a revival meeting. Amen? They were praising God and singing praises to God. And this old jailer was assigned to them, and he was watching them. And all of a sudden, God sent an earthquake. He shook the foundation of the prison. The doors fell off, and Paul and Silas were free to escape. And that Roman jailer knew if they escaped, he would immediately be put to death by the Roman authorities. He knew that. And it says he came trembling and fell down before him. And you know what he said? He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't talking about having his life spared. He was talking about salvation. In other words, he said, I want what you guys got. Here you are locked up in prison, and you're not singing some old country and western song and crying. You're, you're, you're praising God. Amen? He said, I want what you guys have. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And you know what happened? He got saved. They went to his house. Apparently led his wife and children to the Lord. They, the whole house got saved. And if you read further down in Acts chapter 16, he baptized every one of them that night after they were saved. Amen? You know, it tells us something, men. When men get right in the family... Usually the rest of the family will automatically. Amen? You get a man saved in the family, then, a, then the wife will get saved and the children will get saved. You get the wife saved, and we want everybody saved. Then maybe the children will get saved. But when the man gets saved and he's following Jesus and Jesus is Lord of his life and he's surrendered to him, I'm going to tell you, you'll have a godly family. Amen? And man, I want to make an appeal to you tonight. Don't let your children go to hell.
Don't take your children to hell with you. Give your life to Christ if you're not saved tonight. And your family will follow. So friend, I ask you tonight, are you on the narrow road? All you got to do is be born again. Place your faith in Christ. You say, preacher, I just don't get why this has to happen. Why do I need to be saved? Because the entire human race has been infected with a terminal disease. It's called sin. It's called sin. It entered the human race through Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden when they disobeyed God. And it's infected the entire human race. And the entire human race has a death sentence up on it. And it's a terminal sentence. Amen? The wages of sin is death. And, and But because God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to this earth, the perfect sinless son of God, who went to the cross, became the sacrifice for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. And while he was dying upon that cross, God executed and poured out his judgment that you and I deserve on his son on Calvary's cross. He died in our place. The innocent died for the guilty. He paid the price. Amen? And he died. He was put in a tomb. But on the third day, he arose from the dead. Amen? So he died to forgive us of our sins. He rose from the dead to give us life. And because of that, sinful man has got a way to God. Because of that, sinful man can be made right in the sight of God. You can know that all your sins are forgiven forever. You can receive the gift of eternal life. And friend, there's no other way you've got to get on the narrow road. Listen, you cannot work your way into heaven. Most people in this world, most people in America, really believe that they're going to earn their way to heaven. Nobody's going to earn their There's nobody good enough to earn their way to heaven. And listen, some people cringe when I say this. Nobody deserves to go to heaven. Amen? If, if, if I don't deserve it, and neither do you, by the way. But if God gave me what I deserve, I've been burning in hell a long time ago. He didn't give me what I deserve. He gave me his grace. He gave me his mercy. He gave me forgiveness. He gave me his love. Amen? And you can have the same thing tonight. You can know your sins are forgiven. You can know that you're on your way to heaven, but again, you got to get off the wide road. Make a U-turn. That's repentance. Make a U-turn and get on the narrow road tonight. And I warn you, when you get on the narrow road, hey, your life's going to change forever. Your life's going to listen. It. You say, "Well, I'm saved." I want to ask something. Has your life been changed? I mean, changed radically changed and transformed are you the same old person you've always been still living like the devil and living for like like the world but you tack on a little religion by showing up the church once in a while hell's going to be full of millions of people like that when you meet jesus you're not going to become perfect you're not going to become sinless but i'm going to tell you you're going to come changed amen he'll change your heart you'll be changed forever and you follow Jesus, you may lose some friends, you might even have some family members turn on you, God forbid, but it happens. You may not get, the, you may get passed over for that promotion at work. You may make a few enemies. But you just rejoice that you belong to Jesus. Well, let me give you one more thing and we'll wrap this up. The wide road 
leads to destruction, to hell. The narrow road leads to life, to heaven. But here's my third and final point very briefly. You must make a choice. you got to make a choice. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Which road will you choose? You want to stay on the wide road of destruction that leads to death and separation from God? Or do you want to get on the narrow road that leads to life? It's your choice. And nobody can make that choice for you. Parents can't make it for you. Grandparents can't make it for you. Your husband can't. Your wife, you have to make your own decision. Now, others can steer you in the right direction. That's, that's ultimately what I'm trying to do tonight. That's the purpose of preaching. And I'm trying to steer you in the right direction. But ultimately, you've got to decide. You've got to decide. You've got to personally make a choice. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, today is the day of salvation. Today. You say, oh, i got plenty of time, preacher. I'll make this decision someday. You don't know that. And you don't know that the Holy Spirit will deal with you again. If Holy Spirit's not dealing with your heart and convicting you and drawing you, you won't get saved anyway. You better come to him while you can. Amen? You better come to him while you know you still have an opportunity to be saved. Joshua 24, verse 15 says, Choose this day whom ye will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve what? We'll serve the Lord. That's right. And by the way, if you haven't chosen the narrow way again, I want to remind you, you're still on the wide road. So you've got to make a choice. And you can make that choice tonight. Get on the narrow road before it's everlastingly too late. Let me close with this story. I heard about this precious family that had been gone on an extended vacation. They'd been gone from a, for a month. And they were on their way home. You know how it is when even when you go on a vacation or you go somewhere for a while, you may have a good time and enjoy it, but you just kind of want to get home after a while. You all know what I mean? Huh? Just want to get home. Well, they were trying to get home, and, man, it was a long drive. And the dad said, look, I'm tired of hotels. He said, I, I'm going to drive all night. He said, we are going home. You all can sleep. You can rest. I'm, we're headed home. They said, okay. And so they was on this long drive, and they got in familiar territory, and it was pouring down rain. It was dark. It was rainy. You know how it is. It's difficult to see sometimes. They got through a bunch of road work. There were orange barrels and barricades everywhere taking you through this and that and this exit. And it, I mean, it was, it was a treacherous weather for driving. But he kept driving. You know why? He wanted to get him and his family home. Well, that man had traveled that road probably hundreds of times in his life. I mean, he was so familiar with it. He was almost home. What he did not realize as he was driving in that pouring down rain, he missed the sign that said detour here. He missed it. And him and his family plunged off into the river in the freezing water, and every one of them died immediately in the water. You say, preacher, why would you tell such an awful story? I'll tell you why. He thought he was on the right road. He thought he was headed home. 
But instead, that road led to destruction. Which road are you on tonight? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, please. In just a few brief moments, we're going to have what I believe is the most important part of the whole service, and that's the invitation. And we're going to make a couple different appeals tonight during the invitation. But as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you all have listened so well. I wonder how many of you tonight, honestly to yourself and honestly before God, if you're able to say tonight, I'm saved, I know that I'm saved, not that I hope I'm saved or think I'm saved or maybe I'm saved. But I'm saved. I I remember when I got saved, and I know where I was at when I got saved. I know that I'm saved tonight. I'm born again. The Bible way. And if you could say that honestly in your heart tonight, would you slip a hand up and point it toward heaven? Just point it toward heaven and thank God for your salvation. Because he's the one that saved you. And just thank him for it. Amen. Amen. God bless you, each one of you. You put your hands down. Isn't it great to be saved? It's even greater to know that you're saved, isn't it? And you can. The Bible says you need to know. You need to know. You don't want to hope so salvation because that's not any good. You want to know so salvation. Now, for those of you tonight say, man, I, preacher, I didn't, I didn't put up a hand because, uh, because I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. Or maybe you would say, I didn't put up hand because I just don't know, preacher. I, I really don't. I'm just being truthful and being honest, and that's how we want you to be. God can do something with somebody that will be truthful. I just don't know. You say, what do I need to do to be saved? And how can I know for certain that I'm saved? Let me tell you. Listen to me very carefully, and then I'm going to make another appeal. First of all, the first step towards being saved is simply... To realize that you're not. That's the first step. Just simply admit, God, I know I'm lost. I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm guilty. God, I know that I deserve hell and separation and judgment. That's the first step towards being saved for anybody. God, I am a sinner. I'm guilty. I need Jesus. All right, that's the first step. Secondly, be willing to turn. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Turn means to turn from your sins. That The Bible calls that repent, repentance. And it's a change of mind about your sin, about yourself, and about God. It means willing to turn from your sin and self and be willing to turn to Christ. Would you be willing to turn tonight? Just re- Even a child can repent. In fact, I believe they can repent a lot easier than an adult can. And just be willing to repent. Thirdly, you got to believe. you got to place your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Lord and Savior. See, it's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus. Romans 10, 9 said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You see, when the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not talking about just a head belief. Hey, you go out here on the streets tonight in this city or any city in America and ask people, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Most of them are going to tell you yes, but most of them are not saved. They just have a head knowledge. 
They believe about him. They believe in his existence. They believe he walked on this earth. They, they believe he did miracles. They may believe the right things about him, but that's not saving faith. When the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that means you trust him. That means you rest all your weight upon him. That means you literally surrender your life to him to be your Lord and Savior. It's a condition of the heart more so than the head. Would you be willing to trust him tonight? Rest all your weight upon Jesus. Lord Jesus, I don't understand all of it, but I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead, and I'm going to trust you. Would you be willing to do that? You say, yeah, I would. I got some good news for you. You could be saved tonight. You say, preacher, you don't know me and you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. I don't need to know. God already knows. And I'm telling you tonight, he'll forgive you of your sin, no matter what it is, no matter how bad you think it is. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you and make you a new person. Do you want to do that tonight? you want to be saved? You say, man, I sure do. Then take the final step, and that's personally receive him into your life. Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm going to pray a simple and a brief prayer, and I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray out loud if you'd like, or you can just pray quietly right there in your pew where you're seated. God can hear a whisper all the way from heaven. And I want you to pray this with me, and you pray it to God if it's your desire to be saved tonight. And listen, just repeating some words after me won't mean anything. It will not mean anything. If you're not repenting, if you're not believing, this prayer will not mean anything. And you don't even have to say the same words. You don't have to. But most people want somebody to lead them. So just pray something like this if you mean it in your heart. If you're sincere, you say, I want to be saved more than anything tonight, preacher. Great. Then just pray this simple prayer with me. Or you can come down here and pray it in the altar. You can come down here in a moment and take the pastor's hand. He'll be standing down here in a few moments and say, Brother Tracy, I want to be saved. Man, he'd be glad to pray with you, lead you to Jesus. But you can call upon the Lord right there where you're seated and ask him to come into your life. And that's what I'm trying to help you do. I got saved sitting in a church pew, second pew from the back of the church. I got saved sitting in the back on Sunday morning, got baptized on Sunday night. Sunday night. Next Sunday, I moved to the front row. Hallelujah. I didn't want to sit back there anymore. I wanted to get up close where the action was at. Amen. So just pray something like this. Say, Lord Jesus. Lord, I know that I'm lost. I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord Jesus, right now, best I know how, I repent And I turn to you. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe you were buried and you rose again the third day. And Lord Jesus, right now, I'm trusting you. I place my faith in you. And I ask you to come into my heart, save my soul, forgive me of all my sin, and change my life. Thank you for saving me tonight. Thank you for loving me. 
And help me to live the rest of my life for you and help me to never be ashamed of you starting tonight. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. As our heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, listen to me. Matthew 10, 32, 33, Jesus said, Whoever confesses me before others, I'll confess before my Father who's in heaven. He said, whoever denies me before others, I'll deny before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Every person Jesus called, he called them publicly. Did you know that? Just read through your Bible. Every one of them. And he died publicly on a cross for you. He doesn't want any secret disciples. He's got too many of them. And so I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. I'm not going to call you out, but I'm trying to help you do what you need to do to make your decision public tonight. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.